This podcast contains content and language not suitable for some listeners. Welcome to Oddities and Curiosities, a podcast about murder, the paranormal, and other oddities sure to pique your curiosity. We are Amanda and Brittany. Hey, girl. Hey. Hello. How you doing? I do okay. Oh. <laughs> All is well. Nice. I'm, I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> How are you? <laughs> I asked you first. <laughs> uh, I'm good. I'm good. Um, I'm looking at this pretty little treat you have for us. I know. It's I really want to eat some more of it. Well, eat it. Nobody's stopping you. <laughs> <laughs> it's it your is, hump day treat. I know. And it's a fabulous one because it's episode 43. 43. Bored Housewives. <laughs> 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 Bored women are dangerous. That's the moral of today's episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> First things first. Yeah. Go to the social medias. Yes. If you want to see the pictures from the case. We have a few this week. Yeah. There's a couple. Mm -hmm. And if you want to see pictures of the hump day treat. Oh, you want to. And if you want to see shenanigans. You want to see that too. And you want to be able to communicate with us. Which you should. You should. You should give us hump day treat ideas. And case ideas. Topics. Yeah. Um, <laughs> all the things, but yeah, go do that. Yeah. Facebook and Instagram. We like texting. Texting is good. Don't text me. <laughs> don't text me. I don't know you. <laughs> messaging. We like messaging. I've been friends with Delano for like <laughs> six years and I just saved her number on my phone. Yeah, I know. I thought that was super weird. <laughs> I have a problem. <laughs> but anywho. Yeah. Yeah. Talk to us through all the stuff. What else we got here? We got sponsors. I don't know. We do. Mm-hmm. Anna Louisa Jewelry. Mm-hmm. Did you get your Mama's Day treat yet? Okay, so what happened was... <laughs> <laughs> I was As being, I recall, all of the mamas in your life were getting Anna well, Louisa Jewelry. Well, they are, but I was being indecisive, okay. and so I was waiting for the new releases, and today we're recording on Friday, Yeah. so... I was waiting for those new releases today. So, after recording, that's what I'm going to do. Okay. Did you get Good yours? Plans. I have some in my cart, ready <laughs> to go. Yeah, I'm getting some of those little cuff things. Love it. Yeah. Yeah, the little ad that they had. Yeah. We oh, sh- I think I posted that yeah. one. Yeah, I did. Shared that with you guys on Facebook. They have the cutest stuff. So, I've been wearing both pairs of my opal earrings. <gasps> you have. You've been wearing yes. them like all week. I've been sleeping in them. Yep. I've, I haven't had to take them out for anything. My nope. ears aren't getting sore. You know, they're not red. Nothing's bothering me. I've worn them in the shower, at the gym, sleeping. Same. I haven't taken these suckers out. This is my second week wearing a pair. Mm-hmm. I took the gold ones out and I put the little diamond ones in, the little crescent moons. Mm-hmm. Those are so I cute. I did those for Easter. I love these so much. I haven't taken them out either. They're shiny. I see them from They're here. They're shiny. Shining at me. And I have really sensitive ears, like mm-hmm. very, very sensitive ears. Yeah, I have been sweating in these things. I've been in the pool, in the shower, like she said, at the gym too, mm-hmm. at work. 
Yep. Or it's dusty as hell. Mm-hmm. And like my ears aren't itching. They're nope. not sore or red or anything. I get red really easily. I'm super pale. Oh. So like I cannot even, something cannot even be itching or hurting, but it turns red before I even feel it. Mm-hmm. And my ears aren't even turning red. So I have a victory story. Okay. Do tell. Okay. Mm-hmm. I was in the shower and I was washing my neck with my little shower poof thing. Mm-hmm. And you know how sometimes your earring will get stuck in it and it'll pull your earring out of your ear? Yeah. It didn't do that. Because wow. <laughs> like the backs kind of lock on. I don't they know do. if you yeah. noticed that. Uh-huh. But yeah, it kept my earring in my ear. I was like, oh, thank God. That's great. I hate losing the backs of earrings. Winners. Yes. But you know what? If you do lose the backs of your earrings, they sell the backs. Yeah, they sell individual. Yeah. I saw that when I was, <laughs> I was like browsing no. the website. It was like, ah, game changer. <laughs> but anyway, um, y'all go look for y'all's Mother's Day treats or some little baubles for yourself. <laughs> and use our link, shop.analuisa.com backslash oddballs. Because it's for you. Yes. Buy one, get one 40% off if you use that link. So do that. And you are welcome. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's talk about our hump day treat. Yeah, let's do that. Next on the agenda. Yeah, I'm about to eat another olive. Hump day. Okay, so in my quest for finding cool things for uh, this week's hump day treat, mm-hmm. I googled popular cocktails on the Real Housewives. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I like it. And y'all, the only thing that was coming up was like, uh, what's her name? Bethany. I never watched those mm, shows, but mm-hmm. Bethany Frankel. Is that her I name? I don't. I know whatever her name about, is. She does the skinny names. girl stuff. So everything was about skinny girl. Her her line or wine. They drink wine, champagne, and skinny girl margaritas. Okay. So I was like, well, I'll get some wine, and yeah. I, I tend to like rosés. They are delicious. So I went to Torgier. Of course. Yeah. And I decided to um, up my wine budget this week. The wine that I got is not $6. Is it $10? No. No. Is it $12? No. No. Bitch went bougie. $17. It was $16.99. And it's called the Pale Rosé. And y'all, this bottle is gorgeous. The label is gorgeous. And that's why I had to buy it. Um, I, yeah. It's like pink and shit. I don't it's even so care what it tasted like. I was like, I'm here for the label. I, I love it. But I'm going to read you the cute little tidbit they have on the back of the bottle oh, yeah. because it was so cute. <laughs> it says, welcome to the soiree where everyone's drink of choice is a deliciously dry rosé that makes all others pale in comparison. Who's for a glass of the pale? Me. Me. <laughs> Because it's good, y'all. I am, I am. It's good. It is good. If you like dry wine, it's good. It pairs really well. This is going to make me sound really knowledgeable, and I'm not. (laughs) But it pairs really well with the dried blueberries that Mm. are on our charcuterie board. Yes, ma'am. Y'all, we be in a little bit bougie this week. A little bit. So I decided to make my own charcuterie board i think i'm saying that right if i'm not y'all school me because that's such a hard word hard word to say it's i like the way you're saying it though charcuterie that's how it's spelled so i think that's how you're supposed to say it i'm here for it okay i'll allow it so we've got pepperoni Mm -hmm. and ham yes and little toasts Mm -hmm. and some white cheddar cheese yes and some green olives yeah and dried blueberries yeah and some dark chocolate with raspberries in it 
Thank you, Brittany. It's so fun. We'll post photos. It's so cute. We dressed it up all cute. We'd be in fancy this week. I know. The little cutting board that you have it on has a Florida Lee. Our wine glasses have Florida Lees on them. Mm-hmm. Being all Louisiana and shit. I love it. Yeah. All right. So. It's awesome. Get bougie with us and let's uh, do some and happy housewives. Yes. Happy. <laughs> I'm like, let's do some board housewives. Board, You're like it. happy humping. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, that's a good combination. Buckle up, people. <laughs> I think we're kind of in We're humping housewives this yeah. week. Yeah. <laughs> Eating your char- charcuterie boards. <laughs> oh, Y'all, you did it. Funny story. Oh, I'm sorry. Funny story. I'm not. No names. I'm not going to say any names, but I was um, at someone very close to me's home. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and we were having dinner and snacks and, you know, when when my family gets together, we just eat stuff. That's just what we do. So. Oh, you said family. <laughs> my family's really big. <laughs> <laughs> so when family gets together, we just eat stuff. We all just like to eat. Yes. And so we're huddled around the island with this mega oversized charcuterie board <laughs> full of delicious goodness. Yes. And this person said, yeah, I had some help making our charcuterie board. (laughs) Just to picture them saying that. This person doesn't typically say stuff like that. Which made it all the more fabulous. That sounds like some shit I would say. I would love to have been there for that one. Yeah. So it was great. And now, um, you know, in my head, I deemed it the charcuterie board. So... There yeah. we go. It I, is what it is. I like that name for it. <laughs> All right. So let's talk about some board housewives. Okay. Let's do. The one I I chose, I chose it because it's close to home. Ooh. So my case is on Miss Candy Montgomery. Candy Montgomery was thought of as a pillar of her community. That changed, however, after she had an affair with a married man and killed his wife with an axe. Oh. Yeah, I can see how that would tarnish a reputation just a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, put a damper on things. <laughs> so on June 13th, 1980, Betty Gore was found dead by her neighbors. Oh, wow. The end. Duh. No, I, no, ma'am. I kid, I kid. No, you're not doing like the book does. No, no, no. Mm-mm. I kid, I kid. <laughs> Don't do that to me. <laughs> Born Candace Wheeler, Candy grew up an army brat, moving from base to base throughout her childhood. She married Pat Montgomery, who worked as an electrical engineer at Texas Instruments. That's the calculator oh, people. To, yeah. Sweet. I mean, I'm sure they do other things, but. That's what I know them for. That's the calculator people. Mm-hmm. In 1977, the Montgomerys moved to Collin County, Texas, and had a son and a daughter. Candy was a full-time mom. And the family's social life revolved around the First United Methodist Church of Lucas. Okay. Candy was an outgoing, likable person. She was very involved in her church where she was in the choir and taught Sunday school. It was through church that Pat and Candy befriended Alan and Betty Gore. Like Pat. (laughs) So, hold on. (laughs) When I first read this and I saw the name Alan Gore, my brain kept going Al Gore. Uh, uh Gore. Okay. Okay. Cause that's, (laughs) so I was like, okay. 
Anyway. All right. Like Pat, Alan worked as an electrical engineer. Candy and Betty hit it off as well. From the outside, their lives appeared to be quiet and comfortable. However, the then 29-year-old Candy was bored and unfulfilled being a stay-at-home housewife. She began looking for a way to add a spark of excitement to her life. Oh, my God. Were they swingers? No. With the other couple? No. Okay. <laughs> okay. No. We didn't go that way. All right. All right. Good. All right. That was just your little backstory on Candy. I'm going to give you a little backstory on Betty now. Ooh. Okay. Born in 1950, Betty Pomeroy grew up in a small town in Kansas. She was one of three children and had two younger brothers. Here's a quote from one of her brothers, Ronald Pomeroy. She was very popular. She was involved in all kinds of school events, music, plays, and student council. She wanted to be an elementary school teacher, really, from the word go. Aww. So her brother, Ronald, told that to Snapped, because obviously there is a Snapped episode about this. Oh, God, yes. <laughs> okay, all right. While in college, Betty met Alan Gore, a teaching assistant in one of her classes. They started dating and were married in 1970. After the birth of their daughter, the family moved to Collin County, where Betty became a teacher. In 1979, Betty gave birth to her second daughter. So, they had two daughters. Okay. She uh, suffered from postpartum depression, putting a strain on her marriage. Yeah, that's a bitch. So, there's the background on the ladies. Okay. Sorry, I'm jumping okay. around a little bit. No, I'm, I'm, I'm piecing it all together in my brain. So... At this point, they've come together. Yeah, so... And we're all friends, and we all go to church together. Betty's a teacher and so has two little girls. One of them's a brand-new baby. And Candy is the board Pat. housewife with okay. Pat, and they have a son and a daughter. Okay. All right. I got it. And they all go to church together, and they're besties, and yada, yada. Isn't that cute? Yeah, sure. Sure it is. Sure it's cute. The white suburban poster moment right there. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Around 11 p.m. on Friday, June 13th, 1980, Alan called his neighbor, Richard Parker, and asked him to check on Betty. Alan was in Minnesota on business and couldn't get in touch with her. Richard and another neighbor, Lester Gaylor, went to investigate. Quote, Mm. I went in first, Gaylor told the Dallas Morning News. We went down the hall to the bathroom, turning on lights. A little baby, he says, okay, this guy has got to, <laughs> got to be super country or something. Well, yeah, we're in Texas. That's true. A little old baby raised his <laughs> head up out of the crib, out the baby bed, oh. <laughs> and began to cry. It'd been there nearly all day, hadn't been fed or nothing, end quote. So that was uh, what well the neighbor done. told the Dallas Morning News. Yeah. Oh, God. The men followed a trail of blood to the utility room. Mm. On the floor lay Betty Gore. Her head and body were so badly mutilated that the men thought she had suffered a shotgun blast. Oh, my gosh. A few feet away from her body was a three-foot-long wood-handled axe. (gasps) Oh, 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 I know who did it. (laughs) (laughs) Stop jumping ahead. Oh, God. (laughs) Keep it to yourself. You said it in the first sentence. You're right. I, <laughs> I, was, I, I didn't leave I was paying anything. attention this time. I didn't leave anything to the imagination. You know what? Sometimes I like it when you just hit me with it. Hit me with the best shot. Okay. <gasps> she sang. 
It still ain't cute. But it's coming along. I was able to sing all the way over here, and I could hear the words. No dog whistles. Oh, yes. Yes. Another baby step. Baby steps. So, an autopsy would determine Betty had been struck 41 times with the axe. Oh, God. 28 of the blows were to her head and face. That's why they thought she'd be shot. Somebody was mad. Somebody was really mad. Investigators Mm. believe the brutal nature of the murder indicated it was personal. (laughs) Yes, I would say so. God. Quote, it was a vicious set of blows to the body, the face, the arms, the head, the torso, even into the legs. Former chief of physical evidence in Dallas, Dr. Irv Stone, told Snapped. Okay, that's a definite Snapped moment. Uh Uh-huh. For sure. Indeed. The killer had tried to clean up the crime scene. That's how you know it was a woman. (laughs) But gave up when they realized there was too much blood. (laughs) Fuck this. (laughs) A bloody thumbprint was found on the outside of a freezer, as well as a bloody shoe print in the laundry room. Blood on the bathroom wall and drain revealed the killer had washed off in the shower. A pot of burnt coffee told them the murder happened in the morning. Investigators wondered if Allen had murdered his wife before flying to Minnesota, but the bloody footprint did not match his foot size. Mm -hmm. The evidence of fingerprints and footprints found at the crime scene led to her other neighbor, Candy. I bet it did. (gasps) A five-year-old who was friends with the Gore's daughter said she went to their house that morning. When she knocked on the door, no one answered. Around 11 a.m., she saw Candy leave the house. Oh, damn. Thank goodness that sweet little baby didn't see nothing. I I read five-year-old and I stopped because I thought you were about to tell me that the five-year-old saw blood and all that. Oh, God. Okay. Okay. We have to pause real quick. Okay. Because I want to take a bite of chocolate. Okay. I want to try the raspberry dark chocolate with my wine. I will do the same. Oh, my lamp. Oh, that's good. Oh, that's really good. Ghirardelli intense dark chocolate Mm. with raspberry. Get y'all some of that. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Sip your wine now. Okay. Hold on. I got chocolate on my fingers. (laughs) You won't regret it. Oh, shit. I think that goes better than the blueberries. I mean, the blueberries were still awesome, but I'm here for this. Ooh. Y'all. Join us. Be bougie this week. Ooh, It's fun. That is so good. No wonder them bougie bitches be living their best life all the time. Okay. Mm-hmm. I get it now. Okay. We're doing this again. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Candy was brought in for questioning. She explained that the daughter had slept over at her house the night before and that she stopped by to get a swimsuit for her. Afterwards, she went to church where she was teaching a Bible class to children who were on summer vacation. Sounds believable enough. Okay. I mean, yeah, but. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Let me murder somebody and go to church. Jeez Louise. Did she for real go to church? Yeah, she for real did. Oh my God. Candy had even called her husband to arrange the family plans for the evening. Damn. She told him they just got home from Bible school and wanted to be sure he got enough money at the bank because the Gore's daughter was going to the movies with them that night. Wow. I, I am okay. Uh, this bitch. Candy got some balls. This bitch. <laughs> wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. I need to know more. Continue. Investigators interviewed Allen on June 16th, hours after Betty was laid to rest. 
He said his marriage had been good, but admitted he and Betty got into a fight before he left for Minnesota. Oh, shit. Betty was afraid she was pregnant again. And they had an infant at home. Mm. The next morning, Alan called detectives to get something off his chest. He told them that for the past year, he had been having an affair with Candy. Oh, shit. Yeah, he he was like, I gotta tell y'all. Like... Wait a man up. I mean, you're a fucking dick for cheating on your wife. No, but, but wait he might as well up. go ahead and say it because yeah. it's going to come out. I mean, that that's how you got to do that when there's a murder investigation. Be honest about the shit going on in your life. Fuck that bitch. So <laughs> if I can give you kudos for anything, Alan Gore, it's for telling the truth. Yeah, he may be a cheating asshole, but you know. Yeah. I mean, still fuck Alan, but still. <laughs> Alan said it had been Candy who had come on to him. She just point blank asked him if he would be interested in having an affair after a church volleyball game. You know, I can, uh, I, I believe it. She like legit just said, I'm attracted to you. Do you want to have an affair? <laughs> like for reals. That's what she said. Oh, okay. Wow. Well, yeah, I was where I got some of the snapped information. Uh, was an oxygen article, and that's what it said on there. I should have put the quote in there, but I didn't. But yeah, she just legit was like, I'm attracted to you. They were sitting in his car in the church parking lot after a volleyball game. I'm attracted to you. Do what you were they doing sitting in his car together? Because she was flirting. She was always flirting with him. Yeah. Candy, a hoe for show. She was a hoe for show. They were both yeah. sexually unsatisfied in their marriages, but neither wanted a divorce. The affair was planned with Alan and Candy splitting motel rentals and meeting every other week for sex and a picnic lunch. <laughs> oh, how nice. The pair agreed to end the affair if they got too close. Yeah, okay. <laughs> In April of 1979, <laughs> they agreed to pause their affair because Alan's wife was due to give birth to the couple's second child. She oh, was what pregnant. what a gentleman. She was pregnant when all this started. Douchebox. Right? Uh-huh. Their weekly meetings resumed a few months after Betty gave birth, but they both began to develop doubts. Alan decided to break things off with Candy after he and Betty attended a church-sponsored couples retreat to heal troubled marriages. For the next few months, life seemed to go on as normal. It seemed that Betty Gore was none the wiser about the affair. Mm. And poor Pat, because nobody ever talks about fucking Pat. <laughs> I was kind of wondering, like, where'd Pat go? I mean, Pat knows nothing. Poor guy. I know. Poor Pat. <laughs> I don't know. Or maybe he knows everything and he's like, screw it. <laughs> she's a hoe. She's she a crazy <laughs> bitch. Fine. Go to somebody else for that. Right. <laughs> Detectives brought Candy back for questioning later that day. At that point, she claimed that she didn't have anything to do with the killing. She was asked to take a polygraph test, but refused. The fingerprints and footprints found at the crime scene were enough to secure an arrest warrant. Yeah. Candy Montgomery was arrested on June 27th, 1980, and charged with Betty Gore's murder. Some female jailers had to strip search her at intake, and that's when they noticed bruises and cuts on her toe. Whoops. Yeah. To get yourself with the axe a little bit, maybe? <laughs> so what happened there? Uh-huh. <laughs> when Candy's trial commenced in October 1980, she confessed to killing Betty in self-defense. Well, she- <clears throat> Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you having some troubles over there, Manders? <laughs> no, I'm fine. I'm fine. 
After learning about her husband's affair, Candy alleged that it was Betty who attempted to attack her with the axe first. Betty had discovered notes and cards Candy had given to Alan and finally figured out their secret affair. Candy didn't deny the affair, but also couldn't convince Betty that the affair had ended. Candy took the stand in her own defense and claimed that when she arrived at the Gore house, Betty confronted her about the affair. She said Betty came at her with an axe, swinging it down to the floor and cutting Candy's toe. Betty did that. Okay. She claimed that Betty lost control of the weapon at one point, which resulted in a struggle. After grabbing the axe, Candy says she knocked Betty to the floor. Betty kept coming at her, so she claimed she had no choice but to strike her with the axe. Candy claimed Betty was the aggressor, which is why she had to brutally kill her with the axe. Okay. Okay. I would believe that if she hadn't struck her so many times. Self-defense is like one or two whacks. Right. And we're going to get into that, too. Okay. The number of times. But if you are wielding an axe... And someone is still coming for you. Mm-hmm. Why are you scared? Why are you scared? You got the axe swinging around a little bit and be like, bitch, I got to go back out the house with the axe in your hand and go on about your business. Call the police. It's like, bitch, you need to calm down. She's coming go. at you with nothing in her hands. That's true. And you have That's an true. axe. That is a very valid point. That doesn't mean you have to kill her because she's still coming at you. You have an axe. Just back up. She's not going to get within range of you to be able to swing that axe at her. I mean, even if she did. Bitches be cray. Moral of this story, bitches be cray. Bitches be cray. Mm -hmm. That is true. What's that saying? Hell hath no fury like Like a woman scorned. scorned. Yep. (laughs) That's why I'm saying, like, she may not have been willing to stop, even if Candy was swinging that axe. But... You didn't have to you accidentally hit her. Whack her 41 did, times. Yeah, not 41. Um, and 28 in the face. Take uh, a swing and run. <laughs> That's what I would have done. Yeah. Be, whack her and be like, oh, shit. Oh, my God. You know, are you okay? Oh, Call Oh, fuck. She's bleeding. Don't tell mom. No. Don't tell mom. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't hit you that hard. Just put a bandaid on it. <laughs> Anybody out there with siblings knows exactly what the fuck I'm talking about. I don't even remember what I was going to say. I'm sorry. (laughs) Let's go ahead and talk about the number of whacks, shall we? Let's let's talk about the whacks. The whacks. (laughs) Do you ever watch Family Guy? Oh, yeah. Do you remember the episodes with Stewie trying to say Will Wheaton? Will Wheaton. Will Wheaton. Will Wheaton. Okay, I'm done. I'm done. I gotta finish the story. I'm almost done. Prosecutors said that the 41 strikes Candy rained down on Betty went far beyond a simple act of self-defense. Case in point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Candy's lawyers called upon a psychologist who testified a traumatic childhood memory of Candy's had been triggered when Betty told her to shh. Ah. But you know what? I couldn't find what that fucking memory was. I need to know before mm-hmm. I can make an appropriate um, right. ruling on this shit, people. This particular trigger had sparked a type of dissociative reaction, which caused her to lose all awareness and control. I believe that can happen. But sure. How come we ain't telling me what that memory is? Uh, yeah. I mean, it would really help in this. I read like six articles. How come I don't know? 
I don't know, but I don't it, know. Hmm. they didn't tell them that on Snapped. I don't know. So, um, you want to hear what Candy said on the stand? Oh, yes. I hit her. I hit her. I hit her. Ah, obviously. Yes, you did, baby. Boom. <laughs> why would you? Why would you? Even if you had already admitted to being guilty, why would you be like, I hit her. I hit her. I hit her. Uh, yeah. I mean, you really don't have to go into that much detail. Mm-hmm. The why is fine. Right. God. After deliberating for less than four hours, the jury acquitted what Candy Montgomery of the murder of Betty Gore. What the fuck is happening? People were yelling murderer, murderer as she left the courthouse, according to the United Press International News Service. Um, (laughs) hold on. Hold on. Okay. Let me tell you some more crazy shit. Okay. Following the dismissal of the charges, her whereabouts were a mystery. The Daily Mail claimed Candy and her family moved to Georgia. Sometime during the reported move, she and her husband got divorced. Ah. It is also reported by the Daily Mail. And then uh, after I wrote this, I read another article before I went to bed. And another article said the same thing. That Candy worked as a mental health therapist using her maiden name, Candace Wheeler. Oh, my God. Really? Really? Oh, okay. Yeah. So, she's just out there living in the world right now. Wow. Somewhere in Georgia, probably. Candace Wheeler. Uh. The murder was dramatized in the 1990 CBS television movie, A Killing in a Small Town. Candy will premiere on Hulu on May 9th, 2022. Oh. Shut up. The series finale airing on May 13th, 2022. So it's a part of a collaborative project with HBO. So it's like a little mini series. Hell yes. Candy is played by Jessica Biel. Oh shit. And the I'm show in. also stars Melanie Linsky, Timothy Simons, and Pablo Schreiber. I don't know who the two dudes are, but Melanie Linsky is in Coyote Ugly. She's the best friend. <gasps> I love her. Oh, I love her. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, she was in, um, oh, what was that Cinderella movie? With Drew Barrymore. Fuck. Ever After. Ever After. Mm-hmm. I loved her in that, too. Coyote Ugly's my shit, dude. Oh, my God. I watched it not too long ago. <laughs> I wanted to be a bartender for a really long time. Great uh, aspirations I had. <laughs> the clothes. I wanted to shake my ass on a bar. Yeah. So bad. No, and good and damn well, I could never do that job for many reasons. One being how Have clumsy you really I am. Have ever been up on a bar? It's not very big. Um, no, ma'am. Because <laughs> it's pe- way up there. No, ma'am. People would be looking at me. Are you kidding? Yeah. Like I would ever get up that high above other people. I did it one time. No, thank you, It please. didn't last very long. I was scared. I can't dance in public. Like I, I'm going to get on top of a bar. I was very young and very <laughs> thin and very confident and very drunk. So... <laughs> You can get me to kind of do this little half dance move thing going on if I'm drunk, but that's about all you get. And I better be surrounded by people so I'm not sticking out. Wait, have I seen, have I been in the presence of this dance move? Whether I've seen it or not. Has well, it's it not one particular move. It's just like, you know, a small uh, conglomerate. <laughs> I have, I have seen her like shake her booty a little bit. A little bit. But, like I said, I've got to be surrounded by people, mm-hmm. so I know I'm not sticking mm-hmm. out. There can be no attention called towards me. I can't speak to other humans on a daily basis, so. Yeah. I, I could never yeah. be a coyote ugly bartender. I had to squash that dream. No, we just do it at home. 
<laughs> and pretend. <laughs> I can only do it at home when I'm home by myself. That is how pathetic I am. <laughs> oh, you got to do it at least once. If you gotta- I hear keys jingle in the door, I'm like, oh, I'm done. I'm done. Oh, well, yeah. Hell yeah. No, you immediately stop yeah. as soon as you hear somebody If else. Ashton's at home, if I hear a little footsteps coming down the hallway, I'm done. Okay. Well, the next Friday afternoon that you get by yourself, I want you to dance around your living room <laughs> like you're in the club. <laughs> Close your eyes if you need to. Don't run into the coffee table. Maybe move it out the okay. way. Okay. Spread out. Spread out. Okay. Get a safe space. Make sure there's no Hot Wheels or Legos. Yeah. Fuck them. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, God. You might want to crawl around a little bit and make sure you get every single one of them. Um, but that's your homework. I want my, you to do it. My homework. Yep. That's All everybody's right. homework. I want you to dance around your living room like nobody's fucking watching. <laughs> it is very liberating. It feels really, really good. Even if it's only for one song, just do it. See, I like... I'll sing. I'll karaoke all day. You all can throughout, sing at the same time. All throughout my house, but I don't really dance. Act like you're in concert then. Like you are Okay, the, I can do that. Uh-huh. I want the moves, the stage presence, everything. I want you to bring it, bitch. I can do that. Okay. Because I won't, like I do most of my performing in the car. Mm-hmm. And I won't have the confines of the car. So maybe if I look at it, like my next performance, I can do it. Yeah. Okay. Like, like you're winning that Grammy. Okay. Mm-hmm. I got a speech. Yes, you do. <laughs> I'm sure. Okay. Store it in there somewhere. Have one tiny paragraph left. Oh, my bad. <laughs> Just one. So HBO Max was given the green light to produce another series about the infamous killer. Oh shit! The series called Love and Death will star Elizabeth Olsen <gasps> and Lily Rob. Lily Rob is on American Horror Story. She's okay, the, I was like, I know that name. Why do I know that name? She's the blonde nurse on uh, on Asylum. Oh, oh, she is fabulous. I love her. Yes, yes, fabulous. yes. I love her. Olsen plays Candy Montgomery, and Lily Rab takes on the role of victimized neighbor Betty. Oh, I can't wait to see that. Yes. So I only have two pictures on this one. Okay. Yeah. So let's look at them now. Yeah, I want to um, see these bitches or one bitch. The first one, let's look at Candy first. No. Candy Montgomery, that's her. And I think that's her lawyer. That's Candy. Um, But here we go. True story. Okay. My mother had no. glasses exactly like that. Oh. Oh, I thought you were going to say your mother knew who she was. No. Oh, my God. My mother also had a short haircut. Damn near identical to that. Mama, we need photos. I'm going to get some photos next time I'm at her okay. house. Okay. Yeah. My mom was much cuter than Candy. Though. Oh, your mom's way cuter. She's that's fat. why I'm like, that's Candy. Really? Yeah, that's her. Okay, and here's a picture she of looks like Karen. Yes. Okay. And here is Betty Gore with her two daughters. Aww. She looks like a little sweetie. She does look like a sweetheart. You can tell like, she's a teacher. There's something about her aura that says she's a teacher. She has the teacher, and she's got that, like, really cute southern accent. Mm-hmm. I bet she does. Yep. Yep. Oh, baby. She <laughs> always brings mac and cheese to the potluck. Homemade That's what Betty looks like. scratch mm-hmm. mac and cheese. That's what Betty looks like. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But that's my case. Wow. Good job. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Nicely done, ma'am. Holy shit. Okay. While I open up my case and get all my stuff situated. Um, that's a word. Go take a listen <laughs> to our ad. It is now. 
Hey there, oddballs. We want to take a minute to talk to you about Ana Luisa Jewelry. That's A-N-A-L-U-I-S-A. They craft beautiful, high-quality, affordable jewelry with pieces starting at just $39. Yes. $39. And they release new collections every Friday. Their designs are truly unique and very elegant. Go ahead and use our link, shop.analuisa.com backslash oddballs, O-D-D-B-A-L-L-S, to browse those new releases. Ana Luisa is a carbon neutral company from their products to their packaging, and this company really cares about their impact on our planet. And then Mother's Day is quickly coming up. And you can gift your mama a meaningful piece of timeless jewelry as well. You can get gift sets. They have like initial necklaces, heart pendants. Yeah, you can get stuff engraved. That would be perfect. Perfect Mother's Day gift. Oh, mamas would love that. Mm -hmm. So y'all go do that. You can use our link, shop.analuisa.com backslash oddballs. For a buy one, get one 40% off deal. Hell yeah. You can't beat that. Find something special for the mom in your life and then grab something for yourself too. So that's uh, Anna Luisa Jewelry, A-N-A-L-U-I-S-A. Go check them out. Ma'am, this charcuterie board slaps. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just snacking. It's all right. Mm. I'm treating myself. That was really good. <laughs> this coochie board is slapping for sure. Shit. <laughs> Don't mind me. <laughs> I just rolled up an olive wrapped in some ham and cheese. It was good. Mm-hmm. This is on diet, right? Um. Yeah. Yeah. Protein. Protein. Dairy. Low carb. Veggie. Yeah. Fruit. We got all fruit. the food groups. All the food groups are here. Mm-hmm. Representing. <laughs> I up a gangsta side. I don't know what gangsta side it is, but it's... Amanda's hood, y'all. She went it's to jail mine. for like two hours. She hood. <laughs> Four hood hours, bitch. Four hours. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I got learnt. <laughs> God. <laughs> Watch out for these board housewives. Oh, God. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> <laughs> what was that face? Oh my god! <sighs> Why you got that face on your face? I'm about to talk about something really bad. Oh, this is good though. <laughs> I'm giggling. This shit is podcast gold. <laughs> <laughs> I'm ready. My case. I've had this little lady on the back burner for a couple months. Because she fits into so many categories. And since we're doing Bored Housewives, I was like, you know what? Why not? So here we go. Dorothea Puente. (laughs) (laughs) Looked like a sweet little old grandmother. But looks can be deceiving. In fact, Puente was a serial killer who committed at least nine murders inside her boarding house in Sacramento, California throughout the 1980s. Bum, bum, bum. So we're in the little, the the same time period. Between 1982 and 1988, the elderly and disabled people living in Dorothea Puente's house had no idea that she was poisoning and strangling some of her guests before burying them on her property and cashing their social security checks. 
Mm-mm-mm. Mm-hmm. Bad girl. Damn it, Dorothea. <laughs> <laughs> Damn you, woman. <laughs> Dorothea developed a strong rapport with social workers in the area because she was willing to accept the most difficult people with substance use order. Disor- Goddamn. <laughs> eh. With substance use disorders, along with disabled and elderly patients. A prosecutor later described them as shadow people um, because they were living on the fringes of society and it made them easy victims for her. That's so sad. Yeah. Her three-story Victorian house could sleep more than two dozen tenants and she acted as an in-home caregiver. She purposely dressed in a matronly gown, softened her voice, wore oversized glasses, and told her tenants that she was 15 years older than she actually was. That's not what women usually do. Right? I'm go- I'm, why 15 years? I don't know, but I'm thinking maybe I want to be 15 years younger. Yeah. Well, she was trying... 21, bitches! <laughs> <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Okay, well, 22 is a little bit more than 15 for me. But it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I think 15 is a good round number, except I'm going to go 15 years younger instead of 15 yeah, years Yeah, I like the 15 years younger. But she was trying to, you know, have this facade of this sweet little old lady who, mm-hmm. who bakes cookies and, you know, makes stew and all that kind of good stuff. Gives <laughs> you ice stew. cream makes and you vegetable cookies. Soup. <laughs> and <laughs> Dude, that's like the sweetest memory I have of my grandmother. Every she probably, time <laughs> she probably has butterscotch in her purse. Oh, she's got the Warther's originals for sure. Those things are fire. I do love those. I I, love I'm Warthers. not gonna lie. I did not hate when my grandparents had those. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, yeah, give it to me. I'm here for it. <laughs> but like my grandmother, every time we go to visit her in Texas, we get there at like eight o'clock at night. Have y'all eat yet? Uh huh. And she had beef stew sitting on the stove with some cornbread. You mix that all together. Oh, Jesus. Oh, you mix your food? Oh. Oh, no, thank you. No, that was the only way you could, like, it was, if you didn't put the cornbread in there, it wasn't right. No. no oh, it was no. so good. It was so I cannot good. do it. I miss it That's so much. too much things. That's too much things smushed together. She much. she can't cook anymore, so. Aww. I need I need one of my family members to have the recipe. Uh, no, carry your ass over there and make your grandma some stew. You do it. Well, I mean, I don't have the recipe. Somebody's got it. Make your grandma some stew. I made her some of my chicken spaghetti, and now she requests that every time I come to visit. So, <laughs> aside from all that, <laughs> would you like to see a picture of Dorothea? But of course. Okay. Go to the one that just says Dorothea. I'm legit getting some Sophia from Golden Girls vibes from this picture. Thank you. With the glasses and everything. Mm-hmm. She does look like a sweet little grandmother. Right? Man, Sophia was a bad bitch, though. Mm. But she was the good kind of bad bitch. Mm-hmm. Like, I think she will forever maybe be the reigning queen. Oh, yeah. I don't, I don't know if you can top Sophia. Savage as fuck. Right? I just want to live like Sophia. Mm-hmm. All right. So there's Dorothea. 
For years, the disappearances of these so-called shadow people went unnoticed, but eventually police searching for a missing tenant spotted a patch of disturbed dirt near the boarding house and uncovered the first of several bodies. Oh, no. This is the story of the death house landlady. Yikes. (laughs) I love it. Yikes. (laughs) She was born as Dorothea Helen Gray on January 9th, 1929 in Redlands, California. She was the sixth of seven children. She did not grow up in a stable family environment, unfortunately. Her father died of tuberculosis when she was eight Um, While her mother, an alcoholic, routinely abused her children and died in a motorcycle accident a year later. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Yeah. That's insane. Um, I want to know more about the mom and the motorcycle. Oh, yeah. That was in the 30s. So, (laughs) yeah. Um, She was a rebel. Yes, she was. Yeah. I need more backstory on that. Mm -hmm. So, she was orphaned and... She and her siblings splintered off in different directions, bouncing between foster care and relatives' homes. Oh, that makes me sad. Yeah. She struck out on her own when she was 16. Oh, my goodness. But, you know, for that time period, that's not that out of the ordinary. I mean, that was like 1821. I mean, it's still sad, but it wasn't that out of the ordinary. That's just, yeah, for me, that's a baby. Yeah. They, They don't know enough now. They oh they wouldn't survive now. Uh, a no. sixteen year old no no not now. There's no way. Maybe in our generation would have been okay, mm-hmm. but uh, not now. <laughs> Since she was sixteen in Olympia, Washington, she tried to make a living as a sex worker. Oh, honey, no. Yeah. Um, but that didn't work out. Instead, she found a husband. Okay, well, there you go. She met and she met and married Fred McFall. That's a terrible last name. Don't marry that last name. <laughs> In 1945. <laughs> says the woman that married a Gowetsky. <laughs> it is what to it is. To each your own. <laughs> the marriage was brief. It lasted only three years and hinted at trouble beneath the surface. Obs, if it only lasted for three years. Mm-hmm. Dorothea had several children with McFall. In three years? Uh-huh. All right. But she didn't raise them. Mm-mm-mm. She sent one child to live with relatives while another was put up for adoption. Mm. By 1948, McFall asked for a divorce and Dorothea drifted south to California. All right. There, the former sex worker turned back to the life of crime. She got in serious trouble for the first time in her life after bouncing a check in San Bernardino and spent four months in jail. She was supposed to stick around to serve out her probation, but in a sign of things to come, she skipped town instead. Of course she did. She went to San Francisco, Mm -hmm. where she married her second husband, Axel Bryn Johansson. Johansson. Yeah, my bad. That sounds like a celebrity's name. Axel Bren. Uh, Axel Bren Johansson. Johansson? Johansson. Hansen? Hansen. I like Hansen. I like Hansen. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, God. (laughs) Okay. Get out of my head. (laughs) In 1952, 
But volatility seems to follow Puente wherever she wins, and the new couple argued frequently about her drinking and gambling and sexual habits. Mm, she was a slutty McSlutslut. Mm-hmm. All right. When she offered to perform a sex act on an undercover cop at a house of ill repute, her <laughs> husband sent her to a psychiatric ward. <laughs> he put that bitch away. He wasn't playing. Dude, women got put away for everything. <laughs> uh, yeah. She just a little slutty. She ain't psycho. Well, she may have been psycho. She just needed to be smacked around. <laughs> God, stop <laughs> she it. She needed a daddy. Stop it. If he'd have done that, she'd have been fine. Oh, my God. <laughs> You're canceled. <laughs> but accurate. <laughs> Despite this, their marriage lasted till 1966. Her next two marriages would be shortly lived. She married Roberto Puente in 1968, but the relationship dissolved less than 16 months later. Yeah. Um, okay. Then she married Pedro Angel Montalvo. I like it. Yeah, I know. I love these names. But he left her only a week after they were wed. <laughs> <laughs> um, these people need to think about what they're doing. This is getting a little ridiculous. <laughs> Despite all the evidence to the contrary, Dorothea believed herself to be an able caretaker. In the 1970s, she opened her first boarding house in Sacramento. Social workers in the 1970s looked upon Dorothea and her boarding house with admiration. Mm. She had a reputation for taking in people, considered tough cases, recovering alcoholics, drug addicts, the mentally ill, and the elderly. But behind the scenes... She had embarked on a path that would lead her to murder. Of course she did. That's why we're here. <laughs> she lost her first boarding house after getting caught signing her own name to the tenant's benefit checks. In the 1980s, she worked as a personal caretaker who drugged her clients and sold their valuables. That's about right. By 1982, Puente was sent to prison for her thefts, and she was released just three years later, although a state psychologist diagnosed her as a schizophrenic with no remorse or regret who should be closely monitored. Sure, let her out. Instead, she opened up her second boarding house. There has not? got to be some better checks and balances. Surely now there are better checks and balances. God, I would hope so. There, she quickly got back to her old tricks. She took in people who were marginally homeless without close family or friends. Some no one to them, come looking for them. Mm-hmm. Because some of them began to disappear. Mm -hmm. But no one noticed. Even probation officers who stopped by accepted her explanation that the people living at her house were just guests or friends, not boarders. Yeah, I just have half a dozen friends hanging out every day. Yeah. I mean, they're like friends of family and shit, mm -hmm. you know. In April of 1982, a 61-year-old woman named Ruth Monroe moved into Dorothea's house. Soon after, Monroe died of an overdose of codeine and Tylenol. Mm hmm Hmm. When the police arrived, Dorothea told them that Monroe had been de depressed due to her husband's terminal illness. Satisfied, the authorities ruled Monroe's death as a suicide and moved on. Uh, in November 1985, Dorothea hired a handyman named Ismael Flores to install some wood paneling in her home. After Flores finished the job, Puente had one more request to build her a six-foot-long box so she could fill it with books 
and a few other assorted items before the pair of them would bring the box to a storage facility. Okay. But on the way to the storage facility, she abruptly asked Flores to pull over near a riverbank and just push the box into the water. Yeah, no big deal. That's not sus at all. No, not not one single bit, right? Mm. On New Year's Day, a fisherman spotted the box, noticed that it looked suspiciously like a coffin, and informed the police. Would you like what to know? Would you like to know what they found inside? Of course. <laughs> Investigators soon found the decomposing body of an elderly man inside. I'm not even a tiny bit surprised. Right? Not even. You know where this is going. Oh yeah. However, it would be three more years before authorities could identify the body as one of the tenants in Dorothea's house. Mm. Here we go. It's about to get good. All right. Gooder. 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 Oh, (laughs) I know. You hate that. I said it, and I cannot believe (laughs) I said it. I can't believe you repeated it. I'm in shock over here. I got to drink my wine. My mouth's dirty now. Just don't spit. Nobody likes a spitter. Ew. It's true, though. It's true. It's true. Okay. All right. (laughs) Back to the story. (laughs) I'm just saying we the real G's. (laughs) You're fine. Mm -hmm. In 1986, in violation of her probation, again, she opened another boarding house at 1426 F Street that could hold eight tenants. Assumedly unaware that Pointe was an unlicensed ex-convict, <laughs> social workers, and advocates for houseless people once again sent their clients to her. Y'all, y'all need to have a spreadsheet or <laughs> something. Um, background check? Oh, I mean, <laughs> federal probate. Google. Google. No. It was 1986. It, it was it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> Federal probation officers actually visited the pla- the pe- the play the palace the play <laughs> the place several times, but due to her tidy home and grandmotherly facade, they always left convinced that the people they saw there were friends and family and not illegal tenants. Mm. Um, she was also particularly immune from criticism because of her standing within the Latino communities. She often donated to charities, claimed Mexico was her birthplace, using Roberto's last name helped give her false legitimacy, of course, Mm -hmm. and provided affordable medical care to Latino people under the lie that she served as a nurse during World War II. Okay. Let's go look at her house. Okay. Okay. I really like it. Okay. This is what I was going to say to you earlier. I would live here. I, I totally would. Even knowing, even now, even knowing what happened, I, don't I would care. live there. Mm-hmm. I would hope I would see some ghosties. Mm. But look how pretty it is! Really pretty. Like I, it looks like one of those houses that we were looking at in New Orleans. Yes, it it does it look is like so cute. The construction is a lot like a South Louisiana home with how high up off the ground it is. That's I how, love it. That's look, how we be doing like, shit here because it just floods all the time. Look, zoom in. It's got like a little couch down there. I'm here for it. Like I that is so cute, house. and it has a little yard. I know. I'm you here can for have it. a dog and everything. I would live in Dorothea's house. Hell yes, in a heartbeat. But it wasn't until 1988 that suspicions first arose about Dorothea, after one of her tenants, a 52 year old Alvaro Montoya, better known as Bert, oh sweet Bert, <laughs> went missing. 
Yeah, you just watched it, didn't you? I just watched <laughs> oh. Worst Roommate Ever. It's oh, the first it's on Netflix, y'all. Don't, it's, y'all. She's the first episode. Poor Sweet Bert. Sweet Oh. I just, it breaks my heart so much. Oh, poor Bert. Montoya struggled with mental health issues and had been homeless for years. He had been referred to Dorothea Puente's house because of her sterling reputation welcoming people like him. Oh, fuck Dorothea. Mm-hmm. Unlike many who passed through Puente's boarding house, however, someone had their eye on Montoya. Judy Moyes, an outreach counselor with Volunteers of America, became suspicious when Mont- Montoya vanished. Yes. Mm-hmm. Good radar. And she didn't buy into Dorothea's explanation that he'd left on vacation. <laughs> hmm Judy had actually met Bert while he was basically living on the streets. How he made it to Sacramento, we're not really sure. What we do know is that he was born in Puerto Rico and lived a very hard life while struggling with his disabilities. His family didn't really know how to take care of him, and they ended up sending him to a menstrual institution in his early teens. After he was released, he just didn't go back home. Yeah, just fuck that. Yeah, fuck this shit, I'm out. When they met, Bert was staying at a shelter because he liked it better there because the boarding houses at the time were what you would call very undesirable living circumstances. Yeah. Well, we all know how the mentally ill have been treated. Yes. Throughout history. It was harsh and very cruel. Mm -hmm. So, Judy found him one that specialized in housing people just like him. Guess who she found? Yep. Mm-hmm. Little Miss Dorothea happily took in the new paycheck. I mean, <laughs> border. <laughs> <laughs> but after Bert was quote unquote unavailable or on vacation and never called Judy back anymore, she alerted police who went to the boarding house. They were met by Dorothea, who repeated her story that Montoya was simply on vacation in Mexico and his family had came and had came had come and pick him picked him up when he got his family back. had came had came and, and got him, him. Mm-hmm. yeah um another tenant john sharp backed her up but as the police were prepared to leave sharp slipped them a message she's making me lie for her good on you john good boy good boy i know john is like unsung hero, hero here yep he told judy that there was no vacation ever and bert was just gone He also stated that Dorothea had been digging a lot, but he didn't know why. The police returned and searched the house, finding nothing. They asked permission to dig up the yard, though. Mm Mm-hmm. Just to see. Yeah. Dorothea told them they were welcome to do so and even provided an extra shovel. Because she probably never thought in a million years them donut-eating cops was going to go dig. How she could think that they weren't going to find anything... Is beyond me. Because get ready for this shit. She would bluff him. She would bluff him. Mm-hmm. So after they were digging for a while. And they noticed her watching from a window and everything. She all of a sudden like asked to go get coffee. <laughs> Holla. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a picture of her leaving. Okay. Or of what she wore when she left. I don't know if this is when she was actually leaving. It says peace out. Mm-hmm. That red coat. She had on her little red coat and nothing more than a purse. Okay. Low-key, low y'all. I will wear I that love the red coat. coat. I, I love it. I will wear that fucking coat. Um, I love that style statement so much. Mm-hmm. I mean, fuck Dorothea. Yeah, fuck Dorothea, but, but I love I'd the red But I'd wear that coat. fucking coat. So the police officer did tell her, yes, that she could go get coffee. And they started to dig. 
they soon realized that she didn't go get coffee. No, she didn't. No, she gone. Because they found a body. Soon after, they found a second. And then a third, who sadly turned out to be Bert. Oh, poor sweet Bert. I, I'm, I legit got so sad about Bert. They, if you go watch the episode, they have actual video of him. Mm-hmm. He's so sweet. Y'all, I've heard, it, I've heard this story before. Uh-huh. It's such a fucked up story. But when I actually got to see Bert talking on that episode of Worst Roommate Ever. Yep. It, it gets you. Oh, it pulled my heartstrings. Yep. I just want to hug Bert. He looked like a big old teddy bear. He was. Just trying to make an honest living. Uh-huh. Doing what he could do. Poor sweet little dude. Uh, yeah, it, 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 hmm. Okay. So she was gone, and they found all those bodies. She had actually fled to Los Angeles. First, the police dug up 78-year-old Leono? Leono? Sure. Carpenter. Soon they found a second, and then third. Then they found six more bodies. Oh, my goodness. All in her yard in flower beds on the side of her house. Some were mummified while others were missing body parts. And all of them were low-income elderly people. I have some photos of the backyard. All right, let's see. I kept them clean. First, go to backyard. Okay. It's an aerial view of her house. Um, There's, like, a little van parked. Oh, I see. see. Okay, and if you zoom on it. It's not a huge backyard. It's not big. It's it's really not. And then you go to backyard exp. Excavation because after they found three bodies, they were like, "Okay, <laughs> bringing in the big guns. Let's let's do this." Okay. They dug up everything. Okay, and then you go to the backyard blueprint. It shows you okay. how six of the bodies oh my were God. actually buried. Loki, though, uh huh. See, seeing these blueprints mm-hmm. just makes me want this house even more. I know. I like the layout. <laughs> I do. I love the layout. I, I like the way it's actually the yard's laid out. Yeah, it's a really big house. I really like the layout of it. Mm-hmm. I, I would definitely live there. I would. Just I would. It. It's very appealing. So yeah, there's the backyard. For five days, Dorothea was on the lam, mm-hmm. but police tracked her down in Los Angeles after a man in a bar recognized her from TV. That is fantastic. <laughs> I love it that Joe Schmo at the bar is like, I see. Hey, <laughs> I know her. Yes. She was, yeah. Yeah. I, I know. seen her in that red coat. <laughs> <laughs> it's the red coat. It gave her away. Yeah. I mean, if you're trying to hide from the law, don't wear a bright red, like, peacoat <laughs> type of no. situation. <laughs> yeah, that's not the best idea. Yeah. You're not going to blend in with that. Nah. So she was charged with a total of nine murders and was flown back to Sacramento. On her way back, she insisted to reporters that she hadn't killed anyone, claiming, I used to be a very good person at one time. Used to be. What, when you were born? Dorothea. (laughs) Throughout the trial, she was portrayed as either a sweet grandma-like type or a manipulative criminal who preyed upon the weak. Which one do you think's true? Mm. Okay. (laughs) Her lawyers argued that she might be a thief, but not a murderer. Pathologists testified that they hadn't been been able to fix the cause of death on any of the corpses. Mm. Um, I have a picture of her arrest. Okay. In the fabulous red coat. In the red coat. 
Y'all, I'm living for this red coat right now. I'm just <laughs> we saying. We might have to get one. I I need it. <laughs> when I was looking at photos of her, there are several people that have dressed as her for Halloween, and they have on a red coat, and they're carrying a shovel, and they have their hair, like, all curled up with the glasses. I would do that. <laughs> I like it. And I'd get the red coat out of the deal. Yes, you would. I'm here for Bonus. this. Bonus. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I like it. Um, I also have a photo of all of the victims. If you want to go ahead and take a look at that. There's Aww, eight. There's Bert. There's Bert. He's the third one at the top. Mm. Mm-hmm. That's so sad. And poor uh, Ruth Monroe was her friend, for goodness sake. I know. Oy. It's so fucked up. All right. John O'Mara, the prosecutor, called over 130 witnesses to the stand. 130 witnesses. That's insane. The prosecution stated that she used sleeping pills to drug her tenants. Um, Actually, in the episode, Judy, the social worker, said that when she went into the house that you saw, like, little blue capsules Mm -hmm. everywhere on the floor. So... Yeah. So she used sleeping pills and she suffocated them and then hired convicts to bury them in the yard. She would open those capsules and put it in tea. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. She also made them soup a lot. That Some bitch. Stew. That bitch. Dalmain, which is a drug used for insomnia, was found in all seven of the exhumed bodies. Oy. Prosecutors said that she was one of the most cold and calculating female killers the county had ever seen. Of course. In 1993, after several days of deliberations and a deadlocked jury due in part to her grandmotherly disposition. Uh, give me a break. Dorothea was ultimately convicted of three murders and received back-to-back life sentences. I mean, three out of nine. It's better than nothing, it's, but come on. Yeah. These entities fall through the cracks, said Kathleen Lammers, executive director of the California Law Center on Long-Term Care, about boarding houses like Puente's. Not everybody running them is being nefarious, but nefarious activity can crop up. Crop up. (laughs) But to the end of her life, Puente's insisted that she was innocent. Okay. Mm-hmm. And that she had been taking good care of the people under her charge. The only time the boarders were in good health was when they stayed at my home, she insisted from prison. <laughs> I made them change their clothes every day, take a bath every day, and eat three meals a day. When they came to me, they were so sick, they weren't expected to live. And you made sure of it. Yeah. Like I said, she welcomed mm-hmm. the new paychecks. Right. She died in prison of natural causes on March 27th, 2011 at age 82. Bye-bye. Ugh. Yeah. Innocent my ass. Right. Okay. I'm done. I'm not falling for her cute old lady act. No. No. Try to pull the veil over somebody else. It ain't happening here. It ain't working over here. Mm-mm. Puente. <laughs> Puente. <laughs> Dorothea. Karen. (laughs) Yeah, bitch. (laughs) All right. Who else might happen to be uh, in the douche box this week? All right. Let's see here. April 27th. New, new douche box entry. 
Serial killer Gordon Frederick Cummins. <laughs> and it's spelled Cummins. C-U-M-M-I-N-S. <laughs> was convicted. <laughs> was convicted on April 27th, 1942. Gordon Frederick Cummins <laughs> was Sorry. a British spree killer convicted for the killing of four women in London over a six-day period in February 1942, during World War II. Hmm. Cummins, a Royal Air Force serviceman during World War II, was known as the Blackout Killer or Blackout Ripper due to a comparison to Jack the Ripper as both killers mutilated their victims. Huh. That's all I say. So he killed four women. He mutilated four mutilated. women in 1942. Hmm. So, um, fuck Gordon Frederick Cummins. Cummins. Douchebox for you. Yeah. Locking that up for the week. Right. Okay. All right. So. Well, that one was a little bit more informative. Just uh, a little bit. Slightly. There wasn't as many holes. <laughs> all the holes. <laughs> oh, my God. It filled up all the holes. Oh, Lord. <laughs> All right. We're going to have to wrap this shit yeah. up. Um, so since... Uh, <laughs> follow us on the socials. Follow us on the socials. Give socials. us socials. <laughs> so, this, this stuff. Um, be bougie this week. Be Treat bougie. yourself. Happy humping. Happy uh, humping. Send us some ideas, some hump day treats, topics, all that stuff. And pop over to Ana Luisa, A-N-A-L-U-I-S-A, Jewelry. Yeah. And pick you up some uh, gifts for yourself and for the other moms in your yeah. life. But use our link if you want the, you know, 40% off thing. Yes. Buy one, get one 40% off. The link is shop.analuisajewelry.com backslash oddballs, O-D-D-B-A-L-L-S. Good job. Woo. All in one <laughs> breath. Pat on the back for that one. Yes, do that if you want your um, if you want your ears to look as fabulous as ours. Ear picks coming soon. <laughs> we know you wanna <laughs> <laughs> just 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 uh, yeah. But for real, y'all, we're uh, we really love the jewelry. We're yeah, super, we really do. Super proud of our baubles. <laughs> so we hope you acquire some for yourself using that link. Yeah, and I guess we're leaving this place. Yep. See you next time. Bye bye. Bye. Thanks for hanging out with us. Don't forget to visit us on Facebook and Instagram for episode picks and announcements. Please rate and review on Apple, Spotify, and Facebook. We want to give a huge shout out to Stephen Goetzky for editing, Craig Weaver for music, and our very own Amanda Hagens for art. We'll talk at you next week.